Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time in episode 60, we're going to talk about the joys of 110 volts or 240 volts or whatever it is that comes out of the wall of your house. We're also going to talk about how to get some music in the back of your rig in a few different ways. We're going to have a tale from the road about Squeaky, the van. And we're going to visit a place that's absolutely wonderful, even though it's filled with dead people. Thank you for joining me once again here for episode 60. I need to address an issue. You may have, if you've listened to the news lately, heard about GameStop the stock. And while I have never talked about GameStop the stock, I have talked about Robinhood. And specifically, I have made ads promoting Robinhood with a code that if you guys used the code, you would get a free stock and I would get a free stock. And several of you did this, and I'm very grateful. And don't worry, nothing bad has happened or is going to happen but I am no longer going to be running those ads, nor am I going to be supporting Robinhood because I don't like the way they handled this GameStop situation. In short, Robinhood decided not to let anybody trade the GameStop stock because there was a lot of strangeness going on with it. And to my mind, that's not for them to decide. Now, I understand it's a complicated issue. They have to maintain securities in certain ways. There's all kinds of legal implications. I get all that. And I do have some sympathy for the situation Robinhood was in. But they didn't handle it well. And they made their users feel like they were using a product that was exactly the opposite of what it was supposed to be. And that was a way to democratize the stock market. So all that said, I'm simply not going to be supporting Robinhood anymore. I absolutely do appreciate all of you who signed up for Robinhood with my link, and I don't think you need to take any action unless you want to. There are other stock services out there that are also free. I'm not recommending any at this time, but if you do feel like you want to get out of Robinhood, it should be as easy as turning your position into cash, or you can start a stock transfer. If anyone has any questions about how to do all that, feel free to contact me at jeff at builttogo.com. That's two T's, not three, not one. Okay, now let's get into the meat of the episode here. We're 60 episodes in, and I have never talked about the reasons you should have a way to accept 110 volts in your van. Now, I'm not talking about inverters. I'm talking about actually plugging your van in to either an outlet at a campground or an outlet at a friend's house in the driveway or in your own driveway or even a generator. And this could impact how you build your rig, especially if you're the kind of person who's going to build a weekender rig and you're only going to stay at campgrounds. If you are that person, this is your episode. How do you get 110 volts into your rig? A lot of people will put an outlet in the side of their van. They'll actually cut a hole and get a receptacle and mount that into the van. And then they'll have a cord that will plug into the outlet on the house or pedestal or whatever, and then into the van. And inside the van, that receptacle is wired to basically a breaker box. And from there, it will go to a battery charger and some outlets in the van. That's typically how it's done in RVs, and a lot of van builders do that. And my rig, and yes, I haven't talked about this too much, but yes, I can plug my van into 110 volts. I just run an extension cord out the door. 
Yeah, that's it. And I, I bought a heavy-duty flat extension cord, and I'll have a link in the show notes to the one that I use. And it has been all I need to have 110 volts in the van. To my way of thinking, that receptacle is a point of failure. Not only do you have to spend money to put that receptacle on the side of the van, you have to drill a hole in the side of your van, and it's just a place where things can go wrong. And it takes away from the stealth factor a little bit. I actually am a big fan of the run the extension cord out the door thing. Now, obviously, you have to be careful. You have to make sure that that cord isn't going to get pinched, nobody's going to trip on it, and you have to make sure there's a circuit breaker somewhere in the system. So what I do is I have the extension cord, and that gets plugged into a power strip, a 15-amp power strip. There's my circuit breaker right there. If I do something stupid in the van and overload it, that power strip will trip, and I haven't burned down my rig, hopefully. It's kind of a cheesy way to do it, and it doesn't seem very professional, but I think in practice, it actually works really well, especially for someone like me, who is only very rarely plugged in. I plug in at times when I'm at campgrounds, which isn't very often. Big question. Yay, you've got 110 volts in your van. What do you do with it? Well, you do everything you do in home with it. You are basically giving your van the same power you would have at home. The very best thing that I think 110 volts is good for is heat. Oh, if you can plug in in the winter, all you need to do is go to any box store or even supermarkets or even drugstores and get a little tiny space heater that's 1,500 watts, which seems to be what they all are in the U.S. That might vary overseas. And that's more than enough heat to take care of your whole van Get one with a fan if you can, because you want that air to move around. You'll probably also want to have another fan going, because you want to get that air everywhere in the van. And it's a nice, dry heat. And depending on what you get, it might have a thermostat. You have total control of your heat in a little tiny package, and you don't have any canisters to deal with. You don't have any moisture from the propane to deal with. And the converse of that is also true. Air conditioning becomes a definite possibility if you can be plugged in. Now, with air conditioning, you have the problem of where do you put the air conditioner because that thing needs to get some air outside. And you've got two basic choices. You can go to Home Depot or whatever and get a window unit and mount it out the back window or out the side. Or I've seen some people build special cabinets where they vent out the bottom. That's a whole big complex thing. Or you can get one of those units that's standalone, that has a hose that goes out a window. That would be a little bit easier, but they're very big and they don't work as well. However, it doesn't matter. You're going to have air conditioning. And even a small air conditioner, which would typically be thought of as a 5,000 BTU air conditioner, it's going to work great on one household outlet. You don't actually need... Now, what about cooking? Well, yeah, all your electric cooking devices, your instant pot, your crock pot, your microwave, your toaster, your frying pan, your kettle, all of those things you can just plug in just like you do in your kitchen. All you have to worry about is not overloading the circuit. So you don't want to run your toaster, your microwave, and your hairdryer at the same time, but you can't do that at home either. Now, this is a big one for a lot of folks, and that is... You can use your desktop computer, you can use your gaming system, and any size TV you can fit in the van. That's a huge advantage. I know a lot of people are hesitant to do van life because they can't figure out how to make their Xbox work. And I'm not judging that at all. Also, don't forget, 
even if you are going this road I'm suggesting, you're probably still going to want to have a leisure battery back there for those times when you stop at a rest area or whatever. So you're going to want a battery charger. Now, there are fancy RV battery chargers that are actually called converters, and they do two things. They will provide 12 volts for all your 12-volt appliances and charge your batteries. But you might be able to get away with just a battery charger. Things get complicated here because battery charging isn't simple on-off. You want a smart battery charger that's not going to boil your batteries and things like that. But just consider that you will probably also want a way to charge batteries if you're going to be hooked up to 110 volts. The benefits of this are fairly obvious. All you have to do is think about, wow, what can I plug in? But where do you find places to plug in? Now, obviously, there's campgrounds. If you're going to pay to stay at a campground, you can get an electric site. And then you're going to have at least 15 amps of power. More likely, you're going to have 30 or 50 amps of power. And here's a note. This is important. If you are going to do this, make sure you buy all the adapters so that you can plug in because a lot of campsites I've been at don't actually have the normal household plug. They'll only have the 30 amp or the 50 amp plug. I think this is a little strange, but that's how they do it and local codes might be dictating this. I don't know why it is, but you do need adapters in some cases and you can get them at Walmart. You can get better ones on Amazon. The, the ones that tend to be better are called dog bones because that's what they look like. But just know that you're going to have to do that in some cases. Where else can you find these things? Well, driveway surfing's another. If you have a friend, you, you can say, hey, can I just park my van in your driveway? And here, I'll toss you five bucks. You let me use the electric out the basement window, whatever. Absolutely, that works. But there are other secret places where you can get power that you may not know of. If you're in Canada or up north in the U.S., such as places like Fargo, North Dakota, in some places, and this is getting to be a little bit more rare, Parking meters will have electrical outlets in them, and these are meant to keep your battery and engine block warm. In really cold climates, people will install block warmers in their engines, and they'll have a little plug sticking out the front. You may have seen this on trucks. There's a little plug hanging off the, the grill of the truck, usually diesels. Well, that's so these can be plugged in, and in really cold weather, keep the engine a little bit warm so it'll start better. Well... That's the same power you can use in the back. And in fact, Foresty Forest of YouTube fame actually ran his cord out the grill. So it looks just like a block heater, but it actually powers his whole van. I think that's pretty clever. So if you're winter camping anywhere up north, that might be an option for you. Another thing you can do, and I am not saying that you should do this. I have uh, ethical concerns about this, is you can poke around streetlights and many of them actually have electrical outlets on the bottom and these are used for things like christmas lights and stuff but generally they're just on and yeah you can often just use them for power again i'm not sure ethically or safety wise if that's even smart but it can be done and then there is also the aforementioned free campsites that have power you can absolutely look on freecampsites.net or whatever and find some campsites that do have power and some of them are a little strange i've stayed at camping world in tulsa oklahoma and in their parking lot where you're free to stay all you want it's absolutely allowed they invite you to go stay there they had electrical outlets at every single street light and you're allowed to use them and of course there is the obvious option get a generator 
you can get a Predator generator from Harbor Freight or one of those little Honda generators, and that'll provide plenty of power for your van. The only issue with them is that they, they're big. They need to be run outside the van. They use fuel, and most importantly, they make noise. So you could only use those in places where making noise wouldn't be a big deal. A lot of campgrounds have restrictions. You can't use them at night. uh, And it's just kind of rude to use them near other campers. But if you absolutely need to have AC power, the generator is an easy way to go. So, hey, at least bring an extension cord with you. (laughs) I mean, that's just bottom line of this, at least bring an extension cord with you. And if you know you're going to be doing the kind of camping where you're going to be staying at campgrounds, spend a little more time to install some outlets and a circuit breaker box and all that kind of thing. But 110 volts can sure be nice to have if you can somehow swing it. Tech Talk. Hey, you have a radio in the front of your van, right? Most people do. Actually, I was in an old 2006 Sprinter last week, and it did not have a radio in it at all. No speakers, no radio. But let's assume you do have a radio. What if you want to listen to it in the back, like while the van's not on? Isn't that going to drain the starter battery? Well, the answer is yes. There was a time when car radios, when they became transistorized, they stopped using tubes, that they drew so little power that it really wasn't a concern. But modern car stereos actually do use a fair amount of power, and it is something you have to think about. You can't just turn the key to accessory and crank that radio and not worry about your starter battery. If you want to listen to music in the back while the van isn't running... I've got a couple options for you. The simplest, easiest thing to do is to get a Bluetooth speaker of some sort. And you can get any kind of Bluetooth speaker you want. You can get the little tiny hockey puck ones, which actually sound pretty good. Or you can get a full-blown home stereo one or a Sonus system or something that sounds incredible. It's all about how much you want to spend and how you want to mount it. These things typically run on their own batteries. But if you're careful you can find one that will run not only on its own battery, but while it's plugged in. And nearly all of them use less than 12 volts, which means you can actually run them off of a cigarette lighter plug in the back of your van using your leisure battery. So you don't have to worry about their batteries dying. And you can charge them while you're driving. This is what I do. It provides the simplest installation, the most flexibility. I mean, I can take it with me outside. I can take it to the shower house if I happen to be using one. And the music comes from your phone. And obviously you can download music or stream music. I do recommend if you go this route that you get one with a radio in it because listening to the radio on the Bluetooth speakers wouldn't actually require any Bluetooth or any internet connection. If you're worried about using up your minutes or whatever, the radio should still work no matter what. But okay, let's say you've spent a lot of money on your car stereo in the front and you really want to be able to use that in the back and you've got speakers already installed in the back maybe and you want to find a way to use that without killing your starter battery. It's a little bit complicated and the wiring is tricky, but it can be done. Basically, what you want to do is have that unit draw power from the battery in the rear instead of at the battery in the front. Or install an A-B switch so it can choose which one to use. An A-B switch is a switch that will use power from one source or another source, 
but never combine them. And that's the risk. You don't ever want to combine any circuit with the front battery and the rear battery unless it goes through the isolator, which is a VSR or battery-to-battery -battery charger. Yeah, you can see how quickly this gets complicated. If you want to pursue this route, you've got three wires to worry about. The always-on power, which is what's going to keep your settings, uh, your clock and such. It's going to maintain that even if the vehicle's off. You've got your ignition, which tells the radio that the car is on, and in many, that's what turns on the radio. And you've got your ground. Those wires, you need to somehow change over to your back battery. That's the very basics. That is not enough information for you to actually do this, but it gives you an idea of what you should be looking for. There's one other way to do this that I think is actually not a terrible idea. You can buy used car stereos, especially used factory car stereos, for dirt cheap on eBay. Why not install just a second one in the back? You can't really use the same speakers. That's tricky because when a radio is off, it's a dead short across the speakers and you need to install switches for that. But there's no reason why you couldn't just buy an old car stereo and install it in your cabinets in the back and just run some speakers and run it to your back battery and put on some kind of an antenna. Because if you look at the radio in a trailer, that's basically all it is. It might look like a household radio, but it's just, it's just big. It's just the, basically the same radio that you would find in a car. And I kind of like that idea because it would look neat. Anyway, those are some thoughts for how to get music into the back of your rig. Tales from the Road. This week we have a special guest who's going to give us our tale. It is Liz James of the Cracked Cup podcast. You can give that a listen. I'll have a link in the show notes. Liz very kindly recorded this for us, and I think you'll enjoy the story. So here it is. I don't know what life the Honda Odyssey had before it became my sister's. I met it when she bought it, and it was already several years old at that point. We'd all pile in for adventures to the lake or to go look at Christmas lights. When she thought she had driven it into the ground, we bought it off of her for a refugee family we were sponsoring, and it went through a couple of those until it became too old and too broken down even for refugees, who need a reliable vehicle to do things like keep their jobs. And then it became mine. All mine. I could realize the dream I'd always had of having a camper van, which was never in the budget, and was also an idea that my husband hated because he was dead set against any kind of RV lifing or van lifing. So I got the van in the divorce. And during the hardest week of my life, I filled her with possessions each night in the bitter Canadian cold and drove her to my new apartment. That summer, the boys and I drove her around our province in Canada to tick adventures off of our Saskatchewan bucket list. Anthony nicknamed her Squeaky, due to the sound her brakes made when she tried to stop. And when she squeaked, he or I would translate her contribution into whatever conversation was happening at the time. You see, Squeaky agrees with me that, that sort of thing. Squeaky generally contributed in support of me because I had control of the brake pedal. At the beginning of the next summer, the mechanic told me that the end was nigh and that she was safe to drive but might coast to a stop at any moment. I took this as freedom to finally be creative. I took the plunge into turning her into a van life van. I threw the middle seats in the Loris bin behind my apartment. They were in no condition to be reused. I cut holes in the roof. I ran solar in to power a fridge and I made a tiny plumbing system and blackout blinds. And I took off for the summer. The kids were with me for some of the trips, with their dads for others. I woke up on the shore of breathtaking lakes and in the heart of bustling cities. It was the best summer of my life so far. For the last two weeks of the summer, 
My youngest son, Anthony, and I lived in Squeaky together, waking up to views of the Rocky Mountains out of her windows and brewing hot chocolate on the camp stove leaning out the side door. Asper and Lake Louise, and then she began to make another sound which I wanted to describe to my car friends on the phone but couldn't find words for. I asked Anthony how he would describe the sound, and he answered, ominous. Then there was a light burning smell. We cheered her as she carried us back from Alberta, knowing each kilometer might be her last. But she got us through all of our plans for an amazing summer and home safe. After that, she began to flutter in a strange way, lights blinking on and off. Eric, my other son, who is younger than Squeaky but old enough to drive, pulled over and I took the wheel. We knew that this last couple of kilometers home from the store were it. The gas pedal began stuttering. We steered her onto a side street and she coasted to a stop about six blocks from home. To make it the last few blocks, we ran jumper cables from the leisure battery in the back under the open hood to provide continual boosting. We laid her to rest in September of 2019, and I still miss her. Rest in peace, Squeaky. Aww, I feel bad. I, I really like your troubleshooting there, but poor Squeaky. You know, it's a, in a way, uh, our vans, especially the ones we build out ourselves, are like pets. Um, they're not, but we kind of feel about them the same way. All right, I'll speak for myself here. I kind of feel about them the same way, and I, I feel that way about Squeaky now, so I'm, I'm a little sad. Thank you, Liz. I really do appreciate your story. Thank you very much for sharing that. product review. I want to introduce you guys to something that I just discovered. I bumped into Ian, the director of this company, on Facebook and asked him about it and he wrote me back and we had a little conversation. This is kind of like instant van. It's called Van Lab and the idea is that you order a package from them and they ship it to your house and you just set it up in the back of your van and boom, you've got everything you need, or at least almost everything you need. You will have cabinets and counters and seats and a table and it all comes in this flat pack box this is a very cool thing for folks who don't have basic carpentry skills like me and who just want to get the van done i mean maybe you're the kind of person who works 80 hours a week and you don't want to spend your whole weekend fighting with lumber or 80 20 aluminum or whatever if you want to get out on the road quick these van lab kits look great. Now, I've never seen one in person. They're a brand new company and I can't travel due to COVID. They do have them. If you happen to be in California, you can go to their warehouse and see these things. Imagine if Ikea sold vans. Now, this stuff is made out of better wood than Ikea uses, but if Ikea sold like build-out kits for vans, it would be very much like this, although these look a lot less frustrating to install. Now the packages are fairly heavy, they weigh a few hundred pounds and they freight ship them to your house. Right now, because they've just started doing this, they will ship them for free, which is very cool. And then once it gets to your home, none of the pieces are too big. Basically, if you can lift half a sheet of plywood, you can build this in the back of your van in just a couple of hours. And heck, People will do this for you. There are services that will actually finish this for you for about 250 bucks. It takes two handy people with electric screwdrivers about four hours to build this thing. And it's completely removable. 
you can take the whole thing out and your van looks like it was never turned into a camper at all. They have them right now for Nissan NV200s and Ford Transit long wheelbases. They're custom made to the vehicle and they're going to be having more. They're working on a medium-sized kit right now, which I assume is going to fit in a mattress, maybe? I don't know. We'll see what they come out with. They do anticipate having them for all vehicles in the future. One thing I really like about these is that it makes it look like your van was professionally built because it was. You're just assembling it. This stuff was professionally built by VanLab. And if you work with them, they'll help you sort out things like batteries and inverters and plumbing and all that. So anyway, I think you should take a look. This is a fun option. It's not inexpensive. I don't think the pricing is terrible. For an NV200, the basic furniture package is $4,000, and it's $8,000 for the long wheelbase Ford Transit. But again, that's all your furniture professionally built. Bed, seating, cabinetry, all done in four hours. That's worth a lot. You could not hire someone to build this for you for this amount, I don't think. Ian seems like a great guy. He's been very responsive. And if you're looking for a fast way to get a professional build in your van, I definitely recommend you take a look at Van Lab. I'm expecting good things from them. A place to visit. All right, this is one of my favorite places. I used to live in Vermont, as you know. And I don't know, maybe you don't know. Now you know. I used to live in Vermont. And when people came to visit Vermont, because Vermont was one of those places, or because Vermont is one of those places that if you live there, people come to visit you. I had places I would take people. And one of them was a cemetery. Because I like cemeteries, and I don't like any cemetery more than this one. This is the Hope Cemetery in Barrie, Vermont. Now, Barrie, Vermont has an interesting history. During the late 1800s, it attracted a whole bunch of Italian stonemasons to come work the incredible granite and marble that is found in that area. In fact, if you saw the Star Trek movie where little kid Kirk drives his car over a cliff, that cliff is actually the granite quarry in Barrie, Vermont. These people lived there and worked their lives working the, the granite, which is found all over the country. You may have seen Barrie granite and not even known it. It's, it's used in courthouses and, and such all over the country. And, you know, some of them died and, well, when they died, they were buried in the cemetery. But their friends and neighbors, who were also stonemasons, built these incredible tombstones for them. And they're just amazing. Driving around this cemetery is like driving through a museum. Some of the things you see are a NASCAR vehicle completely carved out of granite for somebody who was an enthusiast who died actually in a snowmobile accident. Or there's a bed with a husband and wife into it. There's one man who died of a disease, uh, a lung disease that's common in stonemasons, and his body is melting into the tombstone. It's, it's really poetic. There's all kinds of interesting stuff to see, and I'll have a link in the show notes. It's, this is really a visual thing, so it's a little hard to talk about. Now, I haven't been there in many years, but the last time I was there, there was a little museum downtown in Barrie. Barrie itself is also an interesting place to go to because these stonemasons also carved all these amazing public works of art. Barrie's a, a little city in Vermont 
fairly rural, yet it has all these massive statues in it. Anyway, this is not far from Burlington. It, it's at most an hour from Burlington. It's not far from the ski areas. If you're ever in Vermont, you really, really should go to Hope Cemetery. I'll have a link in the show notes with directions. It's an absolutely wonderful place. And there's other stuff in the area, too, that I might talk about in future episodes. Q&A. Hey, this question's come up. I've answered it before, but I'm going to answer it again because it keeps coming up. And that is, you're out on the road. How do you receive packages? Now, if you're full-timing, you're going to have to have a solution to have an address. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about you are on a trip in, say, Las Vegas, and you need a new solar controller, and you can't find any in any of the stores. How can you get one from Amazon? Well, it's actually pretty easy. Amazon will let you ship to boxes that they'll send you a code for, and you can just use the code to get your package when it's delivered. And if you have Amazon Prime, that only takes a couple of days. But even if that doesn't work, you can, in many cases, have stuff shipped to either a UPS box, which is its own thing, or even straight to the post office, even if you don't have an address in that location. It's called General Delivery, and it's been around for well over 100 years, and you basically send a package in your name to General Delivery to the address of the post office. Now, not every post office does this. You have to check with the postal directory and make sure that this post office actually offers that service. But most of the big ones do. So it's actually not that hard to get a package on the road, and it's kind of nice living in the future sometimes. Well, that's it for episode 60. Thank you very much for listening. Music, as always, is by Simon Wag. I really appreciate all your support. And if you'd ever like to talk to me during the week, you can get a hold of me at jeff at builttogo.com or in our Facebook group, which is Built to Go, a Facebook group. Love to see you there. Until next time, remember what Alice Walker said. In nature, nothing is perfect and everything is perfect. Trees can be contorted, bent in weird ways, and they're still beautiful.